Hi, my name is Julianne Bubeck-Wardenberg, and I'm in the Department of Pediatrics and Microbiology at the University of Chicago. And today I'll talk about pathogen biology and how understanding the insults that a bacterial pathogen causes in the process of sepsis may, be, may provide us with key insight um, that will enable us to uh, develop new therapies for the treatment of disease. So I have a single disclosure, which is that I have a financial relationship with Novartis that's associated with patents owned by the University of Chicago. So when we think about bacterial pathogens that cause sepsis, shown on the left is a number of different pathogens, um, many of which are common in everyday medical practice and some of which are more rare um, pathogens associated with sepsis. What many of these pathogens share in common is that they produce a number of different toxins. And these toxins have been the study of infectious disease processes for many, many years, dating back to the early 1900s. And in general, our appreciation of these toxins as a class is that they cause cell injury and cause inflammation within the host. And these have certainly sparked methodologies to think about treatment of these types of infections. However, what our group is interested in in particular is understanding at a very granular level of detail how particular bacterial toxins cause host cell injury and lead to the inflammation that we so commonly see in the course of sepsis. So the focus of our study has been on Staphylococcus aureus, which needs very little introduction in the modern medical community as it's a common agent of bacterial infection. The organism is pictured um, in some what I think are very beautiful drawings uh, from Alexander Ogston, shown on the left, where you can see the pathogen in small clusters associated with a number of different white blood cells in a sample that was taken from a human infection. And what I find to be particularly interesting about this pathogen is that it causes a wide range of disease severity, shown on the top right, um, from minor skin and soft tissue infection to life-threatening deep-seated infection. And secondly, the organism causes a very wide clinical disease spectrum. Essentially, this is a pathogen that can infect any tissue in the human body, um, causing skin abscesses, pneumonia, meningitis, skin, uh, bony infections, um, as well as a number of toxin-mediated syndromes, and includes infection that uh, we're particularly focused on today, which is bacteremia and sepsis. So just to take a look uh, from a broader viewpoint at how a pathogen causes disease, it's important to understand the complexity of virulence. So Staph aureus in this slide is depicted as the yellow circles. And what's demonstrated around the staphylococci are a number of different types of virulence factors that many organisms generate. And among these are superantigens that modulate host immunity, a number of other canonical immunomodulatory proteins, enzymes that the pathogen secretes that actually cause host damage, a number of surface proteins that are displayed on the pathogen that facilitate adhesion, modulation of the immune system, and nutrient acquisition, a cell wall or capsule which essentially forms a protective shell around the pathogen, and a number of different cytolytic toxins that cause direct tissue injury. And, and this will form the focus of my discussion today. So the toxin that my laboratory focuses on is called the Staphylococcus aureus alpha toxin, or HLA. This toxin has been generated as a crystal structure, and what you can see if you look in the top panel is that this, this toxin looks quite a bit like a mushroom from side view. And what's interesting about the toxin is that it forms a central pore, uh, which is shown from a top view in the center panel. And this pore is a one to two nanometer membrane channel that perforates the membrane bilayer of the host cell and causes a direct injury to that cell. 
And we're able to take advantage of bacterial genetics as shown in the bottom half of the slide. So if you focus on the left, you see a depiction of a wild-type Staph aureus that produces the alpha toxin, uh, which is shown as the small blue diamonds, and a toxin-deficient Staphylococcus, which is depicted um, as just the circle without the um, exotoxin produced. And we're able to model staphylococcal sepsis by injecting mice with live staphylococci through an intravenous route. And we score these animals for survival shown on the y-axis. And what you can appreciate is that infection with the wild-type staphylococcus leads to death of the animal, um, of all of the animals in the group, by a 96-hour time period. However, in mutant staphylococci that do not express HLA or the alpha toxin, you see that these animals have a significant survival advantage as shown in the open uh, white boxes. So to understand how this pathogen actually causes infection, it's important to take a look at how the toxin actually interfaces with the host. So what's been known about the alpha toxin through nearly 100 years of study is that this is a toxin that can injure a number of different cell types, um, all of which are depicted in the top panel of this slide. But what we are interested in to understand how a complex disease system like sep or complex disease process like sepsis occurs is how it is that these cellular injuries by the toxin actually map onto complex tissues where many of these different cell types are together in a, a spatially arrayed uh, format, and then how these tissue-based injuries actually impact on organ function. So to begin this line of studies, one of the first things that we needed to do was understand and define the receptor for the toxin. So how is it that the toxin is actually able to dock on the host lipid bilayer? And to this end, we identified a protein called a disintegrin and metalloprotease 10, or ADAM10, as the cellular receptor for the toxin. And what's interesting about ADAM10 is that it's a zinc-dependent metalloprotease whose native biologic function in host cells is to cleave the ectodomain, or the extracellular domain, of a number of different proteins. So in essence, this functions as a molecular scissors. And the substrates that ADAM10 cleaves are shown on the right. And interestingly, particularly for sepsis, is that one of the key substrates is vascular endothelial cadherin. So we were able to demonstrate very early on that when the toxin binds to ADAM10, this leads to an increase in the metalloprotease activity of ADAM10 and facilitates the direct yet untimely cleavage of vascular endothelial cadherin. So as a consequence of intoxication of the endothelial barrier, ADAM10 facilitates a disruption of this barrier. So in considering what the host response to endothelial injury should be, um, we generated a, a conceptual map that I'll walk you through um, in this slide. So depicted as the clear or white cells at the bottom are endothelial cells in a monolayer on a bed of collagen. And when the toxin injures these endothelial cells, the expected response would be that these cells will display von Willebrand factor, which forms a lattice on the surface of the cells and leads to tethering of the platelets that are within the circulation. Platelets in this slide are depicted um, as these buff-colored ovals. And platelets through a process, a, a tiered process of glycoprotein-based interactions will form a firm adhesion with both the endothelium that's injured as well as the exposed subendothelial collagen. 
And this initial interaction of the platelet with the endothelium allows for platelet-to-platelet -platelet tethering, which is shown on the right-hand slide of the diagram, such that a mass of platelets is formed at the site of injury um, to, pro to uh, essentially provide an initial blockage of the endothelial insult. And this is a process of endothelial repair, as shown on the right. But another consequence of the deposition of this platelet, activated platelets on the surface of an injured endothelium is that platelets will also form a tether with circulating neutrophils. And this then leads to neutrophil activation, um, which is associated with platelet-induced inflammation. And together, this, these dual processes of endothelial repair and platelet-induced inflammation are key host physiologic responses to endothelial injury. But what we consider to be quite interesting in this overall scheme is that the staphylococcal alpha toxin is known to target the endothelial cell, the platelet, and the neutrophil. And this led us to ask the question, how is it that the bacterial toxin may perturb this dynamic uh, physiologic response in the context of endothelial injury that we know to occur in sepsis? So one of the first things we did to investigate this was we examined the response of platelets in the presence of the toxin. So shown in the top left panel um, is a study where we labeled platelets in green, and we treated them in the upper panel with an inactive toxin. And what you can see is over a course of time, these platelets will stick to and form aggregates on a layer of collagen. However, in the bottom panel of this slide, what you observe is that platelets that are treated with the active form of the toxin are not able to stick to a bed of collagen and fail to form these aggregates, suggesting that platelet physiologic function has been disrupted by the toxin. So what had previously been described in the literature was that ADAM10 um, is a metalloprotease that cleaves glycoprotein-6 from the surface of platelets and thereby can modulate platelet function. So we took advantage of this knowledge um, to lead to the generation of a mouse that has a selective defect in ADAM10 expression on platelets. And we hypothesized that this defect in ADAM10 expression would actually protect the platelets from the effect of the bacterial toxin. And in this context, toxin-exposed platelets, we predicted, would still express the surface glycoprotein which allows for tethering to collagen. And indeed, this is what we, set, what we observed. If you look at the graph in the bottom right-hand panel, um, where we examine surface glycoprotein expression on the platelets, if you look at the control animals, um, it, upon treatment with the inactive toxin, the glycoprotein is expressed. However, on treatment with the active form of the toxin, there's a rapid loss of the glycoprotein-6 expression. And when we eliminate the expression of ADAM10 from these platelets in the conditional knockout animals, you see that even in the presence of the toxin, glycoprotein-6 expression is, is nicely preserved. And this suggested to us that even when exposed to the toxin, these platelets in the ADAM10 deficient animal should still be able to function normally as a host protective mechanism to respond to endothelial injury. So to examine this, we turn to a model of sepsis-associated lung injury, where animals receive an intravenous infection with Staph aureus. Um, and then very early in the course of infection, we examine the development of lung injury. And what you can see in control animals, if you look in the left-hand uh, side of the, the histopathologic images, specifically looking at the bottom image on a higher power view, what you see is the alveolar space um, has been infiltrated by red cells, suggestive of the fact that there's been a vascular insult and that leakage of the intravascular contents has occurred into the alveolar space. 
However, if you look in the right-hand side of that panel, what you observe is that platelet atom 10 knockout mice are highly protected from this type of injury, suggesting that their platelet function remains nicely intact, even in the face of a septic challenge with the alpha toxin. And this corresponds, um, as you can see in the upper right-hand panel, to a decrease in the bronchoalveolar lavage protein in the platelet atom 10 knockout mice, suggesting that they're protected against lung injury. And in the lower right-hand panel, this also corresponds with an increased number of platelets that can be recovered successfully from the lungs of these animals, uh, specifically in the knockout animals, suggesting that these platelets are effectively forming a tether on injured endothelium in the context of sepsis. So we next wanted to examine the second component of this platelet interaction with the activated endothelium, which is to ask the question, do activated platelets actually modulate neutrophil activity, and is this associated with an increased level of inflammation? Um, so shown in the left is the scheme that I described previously, and particularly in this assay, what we want to examine is whether there, are, where the, whether there is evidence of neutrophil inflammation or activation which can be measured by IL-1 production. So in the graph on the right, what's demonstrated is an IL-1 beta production um, from cells that are cultured um, either in the absence or the presence of the toxin. So when we co-culture neutrophils and platelets alone, whether these are control platelets or ADAM10 knockout platelets, what we observe is that there's very limited uh, inflammatory response that the neutrophils generate. However, in the right-hand side of this panel, when we culture control platelets um, in the context of neutrophils and in the presence of the active form of the toxin, we see a very robust IL-1 beta response. And interestingly, when we knock out ADAM10 specifically on the platelet compartment, we see a marked dampening of this pro-inflammatory response, suggesting that when platelets come in contact with the toxin, this exacerbates or adds to, in a synergistic manner, the activation of neutrophils and enhances this pro-inflammatory response. So we were interested in understanding how is it that this platelet-neutrophil interaction um, during the course of infection may actually contribute to tissue-mediated disease, but then map onto organ-mediated disease that's so common in sepsis. So to address this question, we generated animals that lack ADAM10 expression on both their platelets and their myeloid lineage cells. And what we observed was quite interesting in that in control animals, what we see on the left is an early lung injury with extravasation of red blood cells and protein into the alveolar space. And if you look in the bottom, bottom panel, what we observe um, as demarcated by the yellow arrows is very broad areas of hepatic necrosis. However, in contrast, what we observe in animals that lack ADAM10 expression on the platelets and the neutrophils, we observe nearly complete protection against acute lung insult in the context of sepsis, and we observe that the hepatic necrosis, as shown in the bottom panel, is very much mitigated. So these double knockout animals seem to be very highly protected against the negative effects of the toxin, and we can see evidence of this in two different organ systems. So this then leads us to ask the question, does this protection that we can observe on the tissue level actually correlate with survival in sepsis? And we were interested to observe that when we, when we infect animals with live staphylococci and look at survival, 
plate, single knockout animals that lack ADAM10 expression in either the platelet or the neutrophil or myeloid lineages as shown in the top two panels do not have a discernible difference in survival compared to wild type animals. However, when we look at double knockout animals that lack expression of ADAM10 on both platelets and myeloid lineage cells as shown in the bottom panel, these animals are highly protected against lethal sepsis caused by Staph aureus. So this suggests that these multiple levels of cellular injury in the context of staphylococcal infection that occur quite early in the course of infection actually contribute to the downstream finding of um, death that's associated with sepsis. So this then allows us to put forth a model where we can understand um, through a new set of eyes clinical disease progression in the context of a bacterial toxin in staphylococcal sepsis. And what we observe is that very early on, insults caused by the toxin on the endothelium and the platelet contribute to lung injury, um, which is associated with bacterial dissemination and hemorrhage into the lung. And as disease progresses, um, yet still very early in the overall course of disease, we can observe a profound liver insult in the animals that are exposed to the toxin. And this liver insult and lung insult are associated with these complex injuries that the toxin is able to cause to this constellation of endothelial cells, platelet cells, and myeloid lineage cells, which are temporally and spatially linked within the tissues during the course of infection. So this then leads us to ask a question of can highly targeted approaches that focus on a bacterial toxin be successful? And an interesting piece of insight in this regard was uh, compiled even as early as 1929 by McFarlane Burnett, in which he examined rabbits that were treated with an intravenous administration of the alpha toxin. And what you can observe in the highlighted box is that animals that received an antitoxin-containing serum very shortly before administration of the toxin survived the toxin challenge. However, a prolonged time between the administration of the antitoxin and the delivery of the active toxin dampened this survival. And clearly animals in the lower part of this graph um, that did not receive any protective serum succumbed very quickly to a toxin challenge. So this data, um, even compiled many years ago prior to the molecular identification of the toxin, demonstrates that there's an important role of timing of antitoxin therapy when a toxin challenge is present. And I, I think this is one important facet that we'll need to consider in thinking about antitoxin or highly focused therapies that target bacterial pathogens. More recently, several pieces of data have emerged in the clinical literature, um, one of which is shown on the left, which is antibody levels to Staph aureus exotoxins, including the alpha toxin, are associated with sepsis um, in hospitalized adult patients who have Staph aureus infection such that the lower the level of antibody, the greater the risk of sepsis in these patients, suggesting that measurement of the pre-existing or induced antibody response to these toxins may be an important component of understanding the potential for treatment efficacy. And on the right is demonstrated a very recent study that examines ADAM10 promoter polymorphisms that link to ADAM10 expression levels and illustrate that an increased level of ADAM10 expression that's conferred by a particular promoter polymorphism um, confers susceptibility to the development of sepsis. And in this particular study, this is a broad range of pathogens that cause sepsis, but this asks the question 
of whether we can actually utilize knowledge of pathogen perturbed pathways such as the alpha toxin atom 10 interaction to define features of host susceptibility to infection then can be mapped on a genetic level. So I'll end with a proposed model for focused interventions in which a firm understanding of clinical disease as is demonstrated at the top left needs to be coupled with the understanding of molecular disease mechanisms which can be understood through these types of investigations of pathogen biology. And these two uh, types of knowledge need to be married to permit an analysis of the human biologic mechanisms of disease um, melded together with understanding preclinical therapeutic efficacy, uh, which can frequently be accomplished in animal models. And in bringing these two lines of human and experimental data together, I anticipate should allow us to identify and stratify high-risk populations for infection and be able to define the host response that's associated with protection. And together, I believe that this is the entire compendium of knowledge that will be required to develop targeted applications um, and allow for the clinical analysis of pathogen-directed therapies. So let me conclude by acknowledging the individuals who performed these studies in my laboratory. Um, so Michael Powers, Russell Becker, Georgia Wilkie, and Ichiro Inoshima were essential to an understanding of the alpha toxin atom 10 interaction and its effects in the context of sepsis. We had collaborators at the University of Birmingham and Steve Watson's group that worked with us on platelet biology, um, and at the University of Chicago in Jerry Turner, um, who's an expert in epithelial um, cell analysis, particularly in the context of liver injury. And uh, the sources of funding that supported this work were from the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease and the Burroughs Welcome Fund. So thank you for your attention to this presentation. I hope that this enables you to see the benefits of understanding some at a, at a very molecular level how pathogens cause infection and how we may be able to take advantage of this knowledge towards the development of novel therapies. Thank you.